Tonight's topic is forgiveness through a priest. And just in case we have anybody new here with us this evening, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Richard Bennett, a former Roman Catholic priest of 22 years, 30 years in the Dominican order, and 48 years totally in Roman Catholicism. I had been devout all of that time until I got convicted in 1985 and left the Roman Church with great love for Roman Catholics so that they would know the truth of the Lord and sense his peace on the Lord's finished work. My post office box, if anybody wants to contact me, is P.O. Box 192, Del Valle, Texas, 78617. This is given at the end of the notes. I'm just giving it really for those who will be listening to the tape. The web page will have these notes printed out for anybody who is listening to the tape. It's bereanbeacon.org. And my email address is rbennett at stick.net, S-T-I-C dot net. I'd like to pray before we begin this evening. Father in heaven, teach us to pray. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us, the spirit of truth, of compassion, of grace, the spirit to show forth the wonder of who Christ Jesus is and the wonder of the forgiveness that we have in him. And Father, for the grace to see the teaching of the Church of Rome so that we may, with compassion, reach out to Roman Catholics and that we may, in the truth spoken in love, show forth the riches of Christ in his forgiveness. Father, hear our prayer. Protect us. Graciously be with us, Father, in every single way. And to you be the glory, the praise, the worship, and the honor. In Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen. If anybody has any questions... Uh, about this session, you just write them down on an index card, and then after you're given a chance to be dismissed, those who stay behind, Brother Richard will answer as many questions as he can within the next, within that following 25 minutes. Okay, we'll try to be as efficient as possible and make the best use of our time. So I'll leave them up here. Right. The cards can be passed out. Forgiveness through a priest is the topic. Forgiveness in the scripture Sins are forgiven as a person believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul declared, Let it be known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Christ Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. In believing on the finished work of Jesus Christ, the soul has both a hundred percent right standing before the All-Holy God credited to him and the forgiveness of sins. As Paul declared the same apostle, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Thus the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, 
if one does sin after salvation, we have a relationship problem with the Father, and we can directly confess our sin to God, as we're told to by the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's the beauty where we begin, the clarity of the Scripture that it is God who directly forgives sins. As we become believers and then if after we have sinned after salvation, we confess our sins to God. In contrast to this clear teaching, the Church of Rome is taught to look for forgiveness by confessing into the ear of a man who is called a priest. Forgiveness through a priest is what the Catholic is taught to look for, and this is what devout Catholics live. It is what I live most of my life, in my early years, right through my teenage years, through my eight years in the monastery of Priory, and then through my years as a priest, I also went to confession. It is what Catholics do. It has different names, and we'll see these. I give the exact words from the new catechism of the Catholic Church. I'm quoting word for word. Paragraph 1424. It is called the sacrament of confession since the disclosure or confession of sins to a priest is an essential element of this sacrament. It is called the sacrament of forgiveness since by the priest's sacramental absolution God grants the penitent pardon and peace. End of quotation. Forgiveness through a priest is the sacrament of penance, another name for confession and it is declared to be necessary for salvation. The official words declaring this are given in paragraph 980. Quotation, It is through the sacrament of penance that the baptized can be reconciled with God and with the church. This sacrament of penance is necessary for salvation for those who have fallen after baptism, just as baptism is necessary for salvation for those who have not yet been reborn. So we're talking about something that is necessary for Roman Catholics. Forgiveness is literally anything. At least it looks like that from one of the teachings that are given in the New Catechism. Quotation, There is no offense, however serious, that the Church cannot forgive. There is no one, however wicked or guilty, who may not confidently hope for forgiveness, provided his repentance is honest. And so, that quotation that the Church can forgive everything. And then in paragraph 983, priests have received from God a power that he has given neither to angels nor archangels. God above confirms what priests do here below. According to this, that whatever the priest does in forgiveness, it is God is doing it, according to this teaching. 
And then we see the Roman Church claim a biblical base. And so this is necessary that we study paragraph 1483 because they're going to say that there's a biblical base for this sacrament. Quotation. On the evening of that day, the first of the week, Jesus showed himself to the apostles. He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And then they give the places in John's Gospel where that is found. The biblical response to this is, first of all, ignoring the fact that this is not a correct translation, but taking the substance of what was said there in John chapter 20, verse 23, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them, Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. This confirms that rather than anything judicially, that is legally, being enacted through any sacrament, the forgiveness spoken of is rather the sum and substance of the gospel message. And this passage parallels other passages in Scripture where Christ was commissioning the apostles to go forth not to go into some corner or box for somebody to whisper sins into their ears he was commissioning them to go forth and preach the gospel of forgiveness this is parallel for example to Luke chapter 24 verse 47 quotation repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. Christ is commissioning the giving of the gospel, just as he did also in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. And this is exactly when you study the Bible and see how the apostles lived out what they were commanded to do. You can study the Acts of the Apostles and see what the Apostles did. They went forth and they preached. And when people believed on the Lord, they proclaimed forgiveness to them. It was not some whispering in any dark corner. It was not into their ear that somebody whispered their sins. And that they raised some hand and exact formula to give them absolution. It was a proclamation of forgiveness in Christ and that God only forgives. And so we see that in the Acts of the Apostles. In the words of the Apostle himself, to him, that is to Christ Jesus, give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth on him shall have remission of sins. That is a sample of what the apostles did in public and not in any dark corner. The proclamation of the gospel was not whispering of sins into the ear of any man or woman. It was the bold proclamation of forgiveness in Christ Jesus. 
seen clearly in Christ's own words and in how it was lived out by the apostles in the book, The Acts of the Apostles. Now, confession is not only told about in the Catholic Church and how you go to confession, but it is obligatory. And they insist in their laws that one must confess. Paragraph 1493, quotation, one who desires to obtain reconciliation with God and with the Church must confess to a priest all unconfessed grave sins he remembers after having carefully examined his conscience. And Canon 960, individual and integral confession and absolution constitute the only ordinary means by which a member of the faithful conscious of grave sin is reconciled with God and with the church. The only ordinary means. And then, in Canon 988, a member of the Christian faithful is obliged to confess in kind and the number of all grave sins committed after baptism and not yet remitted directly through the keys of the church nor acknowledged in individual confession. That means you must tell in detail the exact number and the different kinds of sins. It's not just that you have sinned, you must name out the sins that you have sinned. Auricular confession, that means confession into the ear of a man, is obligatory even though there is no ancient tradition of this ritual. Ignace von Dollinger, one of the most respected Roman Catholic historians in Germany, declared that the sacrament of penance are known in the West for 1,100 years and never known in the East. Quotation from his book, So, again with penance, what is given as the essential form of the sacrament was unknown in the Western world for 1,100 years and never known in the Greek. Now, I want to be clear here that the historian, the Roman Catholic historian, was talking about auricular confession, that is, confession into the ear. And this is distinct from the discipline that took place in the early church and still takes place in Bible-believing churches when somebody is disciplined and somebody has apostatized from the faith, and then when they come back, after public confession to the church, is restored into fellowship with the church. That was in the early church, and that is in biblical churches to this day. That is not what is being talked about. Historically, there was no whispering into somebody's ear until 1,100 years had passed. Interestingly enough, if you wanted to do historical study of that, it originated after the apostasy in Ireland, after Patrick Cullum Kilbreed, Columbanus, and all the wonderful saints of the biblical faith had passed away when the apostasy came to Ireland. Later on, auricular confession actually originated in my own Ireland. So it is only many, many hundreds of years later. And when you see the anomaly that it is now obliged and necessary, what about the first thousand years where there was no auricular confession. That is a huge problem if you are holding 
to this word for word as it is declared by Rome. Now I want you to understand in the paragraph divine absolution question mark just exactly what is claimed by Rome. What I said as a priest and what is the exact formula and the exact words that if you do not say the exact words the person is not forgiven is I absolve you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit which I said for many, many years, first in Latin and then in English. They are the actual formula. If those words are missing, the person is not forgiven according to Roman teaching. The formula is not simply that God forgives you, it is that I forgive you. And this is made very clear in Roman tradition, and I want to give you the exact quotes. It is not that Rome is declaring that God has forgiven the person who gets absolution or that somehow God is giving them pardon. But it is I, the priest, who is forgiving you as a judicial act. And so the exact words of the Council of Trent. Quotation. However, although the absolution of the priest is the dispensation of the benefaction of another Yet it is not a bare ministry only, either of an announcing the gospel or declaring the forgiveness of sins, but it is equivalent to a judicial act by which sentence is pronounced by him as a judge. So this is a declaration by a man that your sins are forgiven, a judicial act of a man. And Rome makes that very clear. It is not that the that they, man is declaring that God is forgiving you, he is forgiving you. And that is what is insisted on by the Council of Trent. It is also in the Catechism, even though the Catechism begins with the word only God forgives sins, but then it goes on to say something different. The Catechism, paragraph 1441, teaches the same thing. Only God forgives sins, since he is the Son of God, Jesus says of himself, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins and exercises this divine power. Your sins are forgiven. Further, by virtue of his divine authority, he gives this power to men to exercise in his name. They claim that the priest is acting in the name and authority of Christ so he can declare that he is doing a judicial act. And we will see the basis for that claim a little bit further on in this paper. It is mind-boggling the arrogance that judicial power could be given to sinful men to forgive sins. It is even worse the false basis that is made for such a claim in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. In paragraph 1444 we have the following quotation in imparting to his apostles his own power to forgive sins, the Lord also gives them the authority to reconcile sinners with the church. This ecclesial dimension of their task is expressed most notably in Christ's solemn words to, the apostle, to Simon Peter. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The office of binding and loosing, which was given to Peter, was also assigned to the College of Apostles United 
to its head. End of quotation. We go to the scriptures itself and look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. We read, And I will give unto thee, it is singular, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It is singular to Peter. This prophetic declaration to Peter was literally fulfilled. He was the first one to take the keys and open the kingdom of God on the day of Pentecost. He was the first to take the keys of the kingdom and open it unto the Jews. And later he was the first to take the keys and open the kingdom of God unto the Gentiles. The prophecy was fulfilled as it was given to him personally. To him, to be the first to open the kingdom was given to him. It was fulfilled and finalized. And so we have quite clearly in the scriptures that position of Peter. The second part of the verse is quoted also in the chapter 18 of Matthew, and it is different because there it is said also of all the apostles. So the second part about binding and loosing was to all the apostles and not to Peter alone. So here the personal doesn't count because it is also said to all the apostles. And it is not a divine right, a judicial power to forgive sins. It is church discipline that if after prayer and study of the word, that in a church, if somebody has apostatized from the faith or is living immorally, they are to be excommunicated from the church. And after repentance and public confession, they are to be restored. That is binding and loosing. And that is the way that biblical churches live out this teaching in Matthew 18. And so it is quite clear it is not a right to any pastor or elder, the office is mentioned in the New Testament, to forgive sins. And it is not in any way claimed as such by any who are biblical. It is quite clear as disciplinary matters. And so we have this um, claim by Rome. We have coming now with the text that I'm about to give the basis why Rome says that her priest can say, I absolve you, and not that God absolves you. I, doing a judicial act, can absolve you. And this is because of their basis. They claim an identical priesthood with Christ. Quotation, All priests share with bishops one identical priesthood and ministry of Christ. Consequently, the very unity of their consecration and mission requires their hierarchical union with the order of bishops. They're claiming an identity with Christ's priesthood. And also, quotation, Now the minister, by reason of their sacerdotal consecration which he has received, is truly made like the high priest and possesses authority to act in the power and place of Christ himself. And so, here we have the claim that the priest 
is alter Christus, another Christ, and he can say, I absolve you and have judicial power. This is very interesting because there is no mention of any priesthood in the New Testament except the Levitical priesthood of the Old Testament. There's mention of Levitical priests. There's no sacrificial priesthood at all in the New Testament. The offices are of pastor, elder, and deacon. There's no mention of any sacrificial priest in the New Testament. And so the very one who's claiming to have power, his office does not exist in the New Testament. I remember reading one of our best Catholic scholars, and this is not in the notes. It is in Raymond Brown, and I quote it in the first edition of my book, Far From Rome, Near to God. And it's also on our webpage in an article that I have written called The uh, Priesthood by a Converted Priest. I'm reading from one of the best Catholic scholars. He's died, Raymond Brown. He was recognized worldwide as one of the best biblical scholars in the Catholic world. He said the following, When we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it is striking that while there are pagan priests and Jewish priests on the scene, no individual Christian is ever specifically identified as a priest. The epistle to the Hebrews speaks of the high priesthood of Jesus by comparing his death and entry into heaven with the actions of the Jewish priest who went into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle once a year with a blood offering for himself and for the sins of the people. Hebrews 9, 6, and 7. It is noteworthy that the author of Hebrews does not associate the priesthood of Jesus with the Eucharist or the Last Supper, neither does he suggest that other Christians are priests in the likeness of Jesus. In fact, the once-for-all atmosphere that surrounds the priesthood of Jesus in Hebrews 10, chapter 10 and verses 12 to 14, has been offered as an explanation why there are no Christian priests in the New Testament period. There are no Christian priests in the New Testament period. Words from a Roman Catholic scholar. And that is the actual fact. There is the priesthood of praise of all believers. There is no Christian priesthood in the New Testament. Acknowledged even by a leading Catholic scholar. And so this claim for power for a man to act with an identity of Christ is of an office that does not exist. I remember the shock of reading that as a priest. It was one of the things that helped to release me from the so-called priesthood, that my office was not there in the pages of the New Testament. So, to come back to where I am in the notes, the basis of Rome's claim is an outrageous concept that the priest's ministry is an identical ministry with Christ Jesus the Lord. Why? Because Christ is the one mediator. There is one mediator. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. This is who Christ is. And in claiming an identity with him, you are denigrating his person. Because there's no one who is identical with him. No one. 
holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, who can measure that standard? Only Christ alone. So this is how serious it is. Biblical forgiveness, the next paragraph, in Scripture, biblical forgiveness is mediated through Christ alone, the only mediator between God and man. The instrument of forgiveness is not a church, but rather faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Praise the Lord. The boundaries of forgiveness are all of God, and not of any church, to demonstrate in the words of the Apostle that he is just, and the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. The elements of salvation are Romans 3.24 being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. To attempt to bring a priest into this holy of holies where Christ has done his work and where the gospel is proclaimed about that work is to take from the Lord and from his very gospel and I come to the conclusion in spite of the clear biblical teaching the Roman Catholic Church claims that a mere man with the right formula of words is an effective means of grace in the judicial act of forgiveness this assertion for the sacrament of confession is the vein of the Roman claim for all seven sacraments that they are necessary means of grace. The teaching is so emphatic that sacramental grace, the alleged grace conveyed through the physical sacraments, is declared to be the grace of the Holy Spirit. Thus, the Church of Rome officially teaches, paragraph 1129, the New Catechism, quotation, the Church affirms that for believers, the sacraments of the New Covenant are necessary for salvation. Sacramental grace is the grace of the Holy Spirit given by Christ and proper to each sacrament. Calling sacramental grace the grace of the Holy Spirit is literally speaking against the divine person of the Holy Spirit. That is the literal definition of blasphemy. To say that the power that comes from the right formula, which is physical words, and the right physical sign, that is the essential part of the sacrament, that the power that comes from that is the grace of the Holy Spirit is to speak against the Holy Spirit of God. A literal definition of blasphemy. And this is demeaning the person of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness is God's graciousness being justified freely through His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It is the price that Christ paid for His own and your faith in trusting on it. And that faith itself is a gift of God. 
and it is to fix your eyes on the Lord and not on any man. In the words of the Apostle, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, that was Adam's sin, much more they that which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. The wonder of the riches of God's grace directly from him. Now this last part of the conclusion is difficult for me because as I said, I spent 48 years in Roman Catholicism and 22 as a priest in this very sacrament. And I know so many of the incidences that have happened having been to many Roman Catholic countries as a priest. In my days as a priest, I've been in many parts of the world and had seen this practice in many nations, including, of course, Rome itself. So we're seeing the dangers now of confession. It really breaks our heart for the emptiness and wickedness that comes out of the claim for the forgiveness of sins the engineered artifact of a confessional box with two sinners inside, one claiming to be overlord of conscience, is substituted for the interior spiritual communion with God based on the faithfulness of Christ Jesus the Lord. Souls are trained to forsake the preciousness of true faith and for one to grovel before another creature in a dangerous ritual. Salvation and forgiveness are no longer to be given directly, but are to be dispensed, as it were, through a waste pipe to the souls of men. Traffic in the souls of men. In the Catholic system, the intimate proximity to a man can be the occasion of sin. And it has been substituted for the joy of the Holy Spirit and the knowledge and joy of being forgiven before the living God. The real vulnerability of a box confession becoming a time of sexual solicitation and scandal and even of false sexual accusations that are equally dangerous is admitted and it is, it is legislated against in the teaching of the Roman Church in their canon law. And we quote now from the Roman Catholic Church's own words, Canon 977, quotation, The absolution of an accomplice in a sin against the sixth commandment of the Decalogue is invalid except in danger of death. You, know, you may be wondering the sixth commandment, uh, that in the Catholic Church thou shalt not commit adultery is called the sixth commandment. And so this is that a priest's absolution of sexual sin of the person with whom he committed the sin is invalid, except it was danger of death. If that has to be legislated against, it means that it is definitely a danger. Otherwise, you do not legislate against something. So we're talking about a danger here that the Catholic Church admits by legislating it against it. And then, quotation... Canon 982, anyone who confesses to have denounced falsely an innocent confessor 
to ecclesiastical authority concerning the crime of solicitation to sin against the sixth commandment of the Decalogue is not to be absolved unless the person has first formally retracted the false enunciation and is prepared to make to, re- to repair damages if there are any. If a priest has been falsely accused of, select, of sexual um, solicitation and it wasn't true, so this means that Catholics do falsely accuse priests of uh, solicitation when it is not true. And then we have in Canon 984, paragraph 1, a confessor is prohibited completely from using knowledge acquired from confession to the detriment of the penitent even when any danger of revelation is excluded. You're not to make use of the knowledge you have acquired to the detriment of the penitent which means that there is danger. I remember so many times at priest recreations where the standard jokes were what was heard in confession which would break this confessional rule where priests are telling jokes to other priests so this is a law because it is an extreme danger that this sort of thing could go on showing the dangers involved in having in close proximity people together unveiling the depravity of men and of women. It is just a sample of the grim laws to anticipate the moral chaos arriving from the practice of private confession. If the ordinary rules of Christian counseling were observed and a priest not left alone to solicit or be solicited, things would not be so hazardous. In counseling, in Christian counseling and any counseling for that matter, there are standard rules so that these sort of things don't happen. And that is general practice in the counseling world, in the secular world and in the Christian world. So that these accusations do not take place. But that is not so in the Catholic Church. The Word of God teaches by precept and example that knowledge of good and evil is polluting to the creature who possesses it. That is why in the Garden of Eden our first parents were commanded not to eat of the tree of good and evil because knowledge of good and evil corrupts somebody. And one of the glories of heaven is that we are going to be free from the knowledge of good and evil. We will only know good. Knowledge of evil always corrupts. And how do you think it is to sit hour after hour and have loaded on you the immorality of people as if you were sitting in a garbage dump having poured on you the sins of men and women I remember in my twenties bearing up and I remember the sweat pouring down my brow and here on my chest and it wasn't simply because I was in the tropics it was because of what I was hearing But this is what is commanded of Catholics. They're commanded to this intimacy of the confession box. And it is even a rule that it is to be in the box. I give in the footnote the exact quotation from that 
canon confessions are not to be heard outside a confessional without just cause. It is to be held in the box. So box confession is obligatory. The tremendous burden of forgiving sins. We have sincere priests doing what is their duty and sincere Catholics doing what they think will alleviate their guilt. And we end up in having huge scandals from confession and other close encounters in the Roman Catholic system. Such scandals have reached such horrendous proportions that it is hard to keep up with the documentation. I give a footnote of a web page that is not a Catholic web page, but if you go to that web page, you get links to all types of Catholic web pages that tell of scandals that have come from confession and other close encounters. This is not somebody who is speaking against the Catholic Church. This is the Catholic Church itself speaking about the horrors of the intimacy and the, of these close encounters that has happened inside the Catholic Church and also in confession. And so we have, therefore, something that is very difficult. It really touches my heart because I know what it is to be devout Catholic and I know what it is to try and to endeavor to live out this type of teaching. And I know the emptiness inside that this all brings. Our hearts are to grieve with anguish and our desire to give the true gospel to Catholics should come alive in our hearts. In the words of Christ Jesus, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And for anyone listening to the tape or anybody here who does not know Christ Jesus the Lord, he is there before you as the Lord of glory saying come unto me all you labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest he will give you rest he will give you forgiveness you are commanded to believe on him and him alone admit your sins to him and him alone and know the joy of what it is to be forgiven the joy of being free in him and of the power of the Holy Spirit to live free and to go forward in Him, the glory of who our Lord is, the gracious promise that He gives is not in any ritual or ceremonial trappings that only ensnare. It is given that you may be changed from glory unto glory, even in the Lord. And that God who commanded his light to shine would shine in your heart to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ Jesus. That is my prayer. That he who commanded the light to shine would shine in your heart. That you would have the knowledge of God and the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would like to write to me, my P.O. Box is Post Office Box 192, Del Valle, two words, D-E-L-V-A-L-L-E, 
Texas 78617. I would love to hear from you. Or if you want to email, it's rbennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T, at stic.net. Our email address is bereanbeacon.org, B-E-R-E-A-N-B-E-A-C-O-N.org. The riches of the Lord's blessings be with you. Thank you. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.